All right, you guys, I am not reading any more celebrity memoirs. This is the last one. The The stories might be great, but the writing is usually just okay. And the whole point of this is to write an amazing book. I was just reading Minka Kelly's memoir called Tell Me Everything. Came highly recommended by a friend of mine. And I also listened to her interviewed on my favorite podcast, Armchair Expert, and they're talking about the book and it's like, oh my God, her past is so interesting and her story is so compelling and just hearing them talk about it, I'm like, okay, let let me get this book. And I read a hundred pages of it and it's definitely interesting, but it's just like, it's okay written. You know, it's not like I'm learning anything about writing as I read it. She's not doing anything that's teaching me something to incorporate into my own writing. Um, and so for this book that we're covering today, we're doing Born Standing Up by Steve Martin. And I finished it. It was okay. It kind of read more like an autobiography than a memoir. Um, and actually in the introduction, he refers to it as, in the same paragraph. He refers to it as a memoir and as an autobiography. Basically, the difference I think is that, well, one of the differences is that with this book, and I guess with autobiographies, it just goes in chronological order from childhood until the end of it for this, for his stand-up career, because that's what it's about. And there's lots of people, places, dates, events that are all included that are just inconsequential to the story. They don't, they don't make anything interesting to me for what I'm interested in. So I'm not saying I won't read autobiographies, but I guess I, I don't feel as much excitement around an autobiography as I do around a memoir because memoirs are all about story. So there are some things I learned from this book that I'm excited to share. So let's just get to it. The first thing I want to talk about is breaking the fourth wall. This seems to be a technique that lots of comedic writers use. It's when you you speak directly to the reader. So you're, you're breaking that fourth wall. Um, I, I think the term breaking the fourth wall comes from it does come from being on stage. And so you're, you're in a play or something, you're on stage, you're acting with the other people on stage, and then all of a sudden you turn to the audience and you speak directly to them. So you break that fourth wall. So in writing, it's when you're reading a story and then all of a sudden you feel like the writer is talking directly to you. So um, I know the, the Duplass brothers did this in their memoir, Like Brothers, and I, I read Tina Fey's book, Bossy Pans and Amy Poehler's book, Yes Please, years ago before I was taking notes. I would just read for enjoyment. I, I think that they did that in their book too, but I don't, I'm, I'm not positive. Okay, so let me read you this example to show you um, what it looked like when, when I read Steve Martin do it. He writes, in the second grade, I was in tumbling class. Modern tumbling has nothing to do with tumbling in 1952. Children today spring midair backflips across Olympic-sized arenas right into the arms of Cirque du Soleil talent scouts. Our repertoire included a somersault, a backward somersault, and our highest achievement, the handspring. Next, we would combine the three basic moves into a handspring that turned into a somersault, then into a backward somersault. This might seem impossible to you, but yes, we did it. <laughs> so anytime you address the reader directly, Okay, this is not the general you we often use in writing. It's speaking directly to the person reading the words on the page. It feels very intimate. It's kind of like, oh, me and Steve are in this together, which is fun. I don't know if you guys are familiar with C.S. Lewis. I'm actually only familiar with one book by him, which is The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, because I read it as a kid, and I loved the movie as a kid. And I actually, I don't know if he writes anything besides fiction, but this is a fiction book. And he breaks the fourth wall often in his book as if um, 
and it, it, it's a really cool effect because it's not all the time and he 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 creates this like very imaginative world and then all of a sudden he brings you back into it i'm going to just read this one example because it was really fun he writes but such people ogres with monstrous teeth and wolves and bullheaded men spirits of evil trees and poisonous plants and other creatures whom i won't describe because if i did the grown-ups would probably not let you read this book so it's really fun he's like talking to the kid because it's a children's book actually he's talking to the kid reading this book I'm not sure if this is if something that I want to use in my book. I think it's something that I want to test out in my newsletter. And basically, you know, the way this is going to work is I'm going to I'm just going to see how it feels to write it and publish it because there's a difference between how something feels when you write it and how when you publish it. Even if you don't get any reactions to it, there's just something about hitting the publish button that really lets you know how you feel about it. And I, and I'll see how it lands for me and I'll see if it lands with readers. Um, the other thing about this this little passage from Steve Martin about the somersaults and everything, it's not just breaking the fourth wall. He's also being sarcastic. So I want to talk a little bit about sarcasm because that this last part he says, this might seem impossible to you, but yes, we did it. Um, you know, he, he's he's going over the top about how this like handspring into a somersault, into a backward somersault was like really not that impressive, but they thought that it was. He has another line. This was like um, when he was, you know, not successful yet and just like getting his feet under him and just starting to perform. And he writes, I was now performing at the hectic pace of one show every two or three months. <laughs> so it's really funny. I laughed when I read this. Um, he's only performing one show every, t- every two or three months. It's like not very much at all. But he says, I was performing at the hectic pace. So I think that the best sarcasm is subtle. This kind of dry sarcasm where you're not positive that he's being sarcasm at first, as opposed to the over the top sarcasm of like, great idea, genius, you know, like with an exclamation point, like that's being really sarcastic. And I think the difference here for me is that when you are subtle with sarcasm, it's treating your audience like a genius. So we go back to this same thing that Alex Abranco said, you treat your audience like a genius. You don't need sarcasm to be over the top for it to be understood. So how can I do this? Um, I was thinking about this. I came up with this example. So we'll see what you think. I decided to get healthy and cut back on my drinking. So I never drank more than a bottle of wine a night. See, it's subtle, right? Like drinking a bottle of wine a night is a shit ton. <laughs> but I'm getting healthy. I'm cutting back. I'm never going to drink more than a bottle. Um, so I really like this. I think that there are ways that I can incorporate this more. I am a pretty sarcastic person in real life. So I think it only makes sense to include this in my writing. All right, the next thing I want to talk about are fantasies. Okay, fantasies are the fun things that we like to imagine. What I have been noticing from when when writers write their fantasies is that the deeper they go into a fantasy, the, the funnier it is and the more vulnerable it is. Because think about your fantasies. Okay, when you think of a fantasy in your mind, of, uh, I mean, I, I think of fantasies all the time. Um, I'll tell, tell you about one. But, you know, when you think about a fantasy, if, if you were to share your fantasy with someone, how much of it would you share? Hmm? If you kept going with it, it'd be like, oh, wow, you've really thought about this. That's, uh, that's embarrassing. 
Um, okay, let me just give you the example so you can see what I'm talking about here. Okay, on page 36, he writes, here I had my first lessons in performing, though I never was on the stage. I absorbed Wally Bogue's timing, saying his next line in my head, and took the audience's response as though it were mine. I studied where the big laughs were, learned how Wally got the small ones, and saw tiny nuances that kept the thing alive between lines. My fantasy was that one day Wally would be sick with the flu, and a desperate stage manager would come out and ask the audience if there was an adolescent boy who could possibly fill in. I, I find this to be very relatable when you have a fantasy about something. And it, it feels personal and it feels vulnerable to share it. And it made me like Steve Martin more. Um, I actually kind of wanted more. I wanted, to, I wanted to hear more about the fantasy. And then what happened? And then what happened? Um, it reminded me of David Sedaris's essay, Santa Land Diaries, which I've talked about before. And I, I've actually talked about this specific quote before, but I'm gonna read it to you again. In Santa Land Diaries, David Sedaris writes, in my imagination, I'd go straight from Penn Station to the offices of One Life to Live, where I would drop off my bags and spruce up before heading off for drinks with Cord Roberts and Victoria Buchanan, the show's greatest stars. We'd sit in a plush booth at a Tony Cocktail Lounge where my new celebrity friends would lift their frosty glasses in my direction and say, a toast to David Sedaris, the best writer the show has ever had. I'd say, you guys, cut it out. It was my plan to act modest. See, I, I love how this is dragged out. Like he could have very easily just ended it like, I imagined, in my imagination, I'd go straight from Penn Station to the offices of One Life to Live, where I would drop off my bags and spruce up before heading for drinks with Cord Roberts and Victoria Buchanan, the show's greatest stars. Like he could have just ended it right there. But no, 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 he goes on. The, 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 the fantasy, you know, we have very <laughs> specific fantasies, <laughs> things that are said, and it's very funny, it's very vulnerable, and it, it's relatable. So I think including my fantasies is a great little fun thing to add. Um, there's, there's one I used to fantasize about the most, and that was being a guest on Jimmy Fallon. And it was great because no matter which stage of life I'm in, there's always a reason. <laughs> there's always a reason for me to go on Jimmy Fallon. So like back in the day when I wanted to act for, for years, I would imagine, you know, winning an Oscar and then being on Jimmy Fallon. And then when I stopped acting and I turned to screenwriting, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to win an Oscar for best original screenplay. And then Jimmy Fallon will have me on. Now, there was also a time, well, I'm always obsessed with lip sync. And I did this like 100 days of lip sync. And I was like, oh, Jimmy is going to, and Jimmy, sorry, if you don't know, like Jimmy Fallon is like the one who started the big lip sync craze on his show where he would do lip sync con competitions with guests. And they were really good at, Jimmy Fallon's really good at lip sync. And I imagine that he would find my my videos of lip sync and he would want to have me on just for that. Like I didn't didn't have I didn't have to be a famous actress or a writer. I would just be like a really good lip syncer. And even still, now with like writing my book, it's like, yeah, Jimmy's gonna have me on. And I would I would go to like I remember so well going to a gym and running on a treadmill. <laughs> I'm always talking about running on a treadmill. And I would sometimes like I would bring my headphones. And some days I would just like not listen to anything. I would not watch the TV on the treadmill. And I would just fantasize about my, appear my appearance on Jimmy Fallon, what I would say, um, things that I would talk to him about, like for one. I mean, I've always been a big fan of Jimmy Fallon when he was on Saturday Night Live. Like he was so funny because he always messed up the skits. And anytime people messed up, like that, those were my favorite skits to watch. And then when I moved to New York City for a, a short stint, when I was living there, he had his first night ever as the, the late show host. And I remember sitting in 
my little tiny New York apartment and watching him on the TV and him stumbling through and me just rooting for him so much. And I remember he kept interrupting all the guests and I'm like, oh God, Jimmy, it was like cringing a little bit, but I was so excited for him. And I I just think that he's so amazing. Um, And I also like am obsessed with uh, his his uh, ice cream is called Jimmy Fallon Tonight Dough. Like it's my favorite ice cream in the world. I'm like I'm gonna talk to him about that. And then um, the 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 musical guest is gonna be Billy Joel because Billy Joel is my favorite singer. And Billy Joel and I are gonna sit next to each other on stage. And then uh, we're gonna do. I'm gonna like lip sync to Billy Joel. And I'm gonna crush Jimmy. I mean, all these things, all these things that I have I have thought about a lot. Um, and I think it's worth uh, just when I sit down to write just allowing all of it to come out, see what comes out and just, you know, keep the really interesting, funny stuff. Okay. This is, this is the last thing I want to talk about his ending. He had, Steve Martin had a great ending to his book. I have not really come across a really great ending so far in all the books I've read. Like there's good endings, but nothing that really like hits me. And this one hit me. The way he ended the book was with a joke. Okay. And for him, this whole memoir is about him being a stand-up comedian. So, you know, it seems like totally obvious that he would end with a joke. So I'm going to read it to you. On page 203, he writes, I do not know if my act holds up these many years later. It is not for me to decide or even think about. Sometimes I hear or see a piece of the old show and it sounds funny. Sometimes I don't get it and can't figure out what all the fuss was about. I did, however, in the course of writing this memoir, come across routines and ad libs long forgotten that made me smile, like this description of a radio show in Austin, Texas in the 70s, remembered by the host Sonny Melendres. And then Sonny says, Steve Martin came directly from a recording session to debut his Let's Get Small album on my show. Before he left, he got very serious, and I truly thought we were seeing another side of him. He launched into a monologue of what seemed like sincere words of friendship. It took me by surprise, given the hour of silliness that had just taken place. Could this be the real Steve Martin, I thought? Sonny, you know, I've listened to you for years, and I really feel like you've become my friend. I feel like I can ask you this question. Sure, Steve, you can ask me anything. What time is it? (laughs) It's so silly. And it's so Steve Martin. Like, his, his humor was so absurd. And he talks about all of that throughout the book. So this is such a fitting end. And it was so satisfying because you could feel the build to it. Like, oh, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? And you don't find out till the very last line. And then you laugh. I mean, what's better than that for an ending? For my book, I won't end with a joke. I don't, you know, because I'm not a stand-up comedian. But I do really like and appreciate this build-up to the last line where there's anticipate, anticipation for the reader to really, like, be hooked until the very last words. All right, the last thing that I want to talk about is just some things that I was inspired by. I'm just going to read you this line from page 66. He writes, The opportunity to perform four or five times a day gave me confidence and poise. Even though my material had few distinguishing features, the repetition made me lose my amateur rattle. Okay, so he was performing four or five times a day. When I read this sentence... When he wrote the opportunity to perform four or five times, I thought he was going to say a week, a day. This dude was committed. His act at that point, like early on, it wasn't even good. But the repetition made him better. Here's something else. He writes, I learned a lesson. It was easy to be great. Every entertainer has a night when everything is clicking. These nights are accidental and statistical. Like lucky cards in poker, you can count on them occurring over time. What was hard was to be good, 
consistently good, night after night, no matter what the abominable circumstances. Okay, so this makes me think about writing. You can write one great essay that goes viral. Big whoop. That is not what I'm optimizing for because I have no control over what goes viral, what resonates with people, and what doesn't. Okay, and let's say you do get something that gets a lot of attention and you get a bunch of new followers and subscribers. How does that change anything? Are you going to stop doing the work and just keep repurposing the one viral thing that you've written? I mean, you can, but you're not going to get better at writing. Okay, my real fans do not subscribe or follow me because I had one viral tweet, which is true. I've only had one viral tweet. They subscribe because they are consistently happy with the content that I share each week, and they know they can count on me to send it. Every Tuesday for three and a half years, you're getting Transparent Tuesdays in your inbox. Okay, one more. He writes, Through the years, I have learned there's no harm in charging oneself up with delusions between moments of valid inspiration. Let me read it one more time. Through the years, I have learned there's no harm in charging oneself up, charging oneself up with delusions between moments of valid inspiration. This was just so reaffirming because I do this all the time. Like, I think this podcast is awesome. And because I'm doing this podcast, I think I'm going to write an exceptional book. And this kind of goes back to my fantasies. But my fantasies have been out of control lately to the point you might call them delusional. Like the other day, (laughs) I imagined I'd written my book and I walked out of my house and was swarmed by paparazzi. (laughs) Which is not like... It's not exactly like what I want. Like, I'm sure that would be horrible, but I can't help but imagine these things. I did my my last episode or two episodes ago, I did my episode on the tender bar. And I actually thought J.R. Moringer, the author, might actually listen to it. And I even tweeted at him. And I didn't hear back in case you're wondering. But I fantasized about what it would be like when he responded to me and like what doors that would open for me <laughs> and like all these things that would come next. The, the obsession with memoir and doing these deep dives are valid inspiration, to go back to Steve Martin's quote. And if there are some delusional moments in between, so be it. 